thank you. Sit down. They tell me my voice sounds like Batman. <laughs> I had to look it up. But I think they're right. So usually I'm compared to Fat Man, but Batman's better. I'll take that. Well, we've been looking at the life of Peter. A journey with Jesus' early days. And we talked about getting to know him, starting to serve him. And now we're looking at the time in Peter's life where he learned to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to open your Bible to the book of John, if you will, please. John chapter 6. It's fairly early in the ministry of the Lord Jesus. He has made some statements that are hard for people to accept about who he is, about what they must do in relationship to him. And the Bible says, from that day, many of his disciples followed him no more. Not just casual observers, not just people that were checking him out, but his disciples. As you go along, you'll be discouraged if you look at the people who turn away. I was a young man, about 35 talking to the man that was then the pastor of the largest church in the United States and discouraged a little by the people that were turning away and going another direction. And he said, my brother, people been turning back ever since John Mark. Here we have. There's a highway marked truth. Baptist, independent, fundamental. Now, if you don't like that word independent, you want to be autonomous, I don't care. If you don't like that word fundamental, you'd rather be orthodox, I don't care. Those are man's words. They are adjectives describing what we do, how we behave. But that word Baptist is from the Bible. See, uh, Jesus said, until John were the law and the prophets. But now, the kingdom of God is preached unto you, and every man presses into it. And he made a distinction between the old and the new covenant in the person and the work of John the Baptist. If that doesn't persuade you, ask yourself if Jesus was baptized by John the Methodist or John the Baptist. And Jesus says to his disciples, Will ye also go away, John 6, 67. Good question. Will you also go away? Will you still be here in March? Will you finish the school year in May? Will you be back for your sophomore, junior, senior year? Will you still be using this Bible 20 and 30 years from now? Will you still be standing up and declaring the Word of God? See, there, there's a philosophy out there. You ought to just kind of explain what it says and let people do what they want with it. 
and don't get too much in anybody's face. Now you can call that whatever you want, but you cannot call it preaching. The word preach in the Bible, they tell me, is the Greek word kerus. And it is the word for the king's herald. And the king's herald always called you to a point of decision. Preaching always requires you to make a decision. I'm sure you have great classes in homiletics. But just in case you're asleep that day, every sermon you preach, except you ladies, you ought to know at the beginning what you want the listener to do at the end. Preaching always points to a decision. You can go away. And Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Lord, would you guide me tonight to say those things to help these who have come to learn about you and learn to serve you and learn to follow you, learn to know you and learn to love you, to stay on the path. And I pray that we wouldn't get off at any of the exits so many of them help us to stay on the path of Bible truth. Fill me with your spirit, please. Use me to say all that you once said. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We see two things in this last segment of our study, learning to trust him. Peter, along the way, gain some insights about the Savior. He learned what he could do. There's a story repeated three times, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The Lord Jesus in a ship with the disciples, they're there in his will, according to his command. And a terrible storm comes up. See, uh, I heard that if you were right with God, you'd never have any trouble. I heard that. I heard that uh, you'd always have plenty of money. Your zits would never show. You'd never have smelly roommates. Nobody'd ever treat you unfairly. Every girl you ask out would want to date you. Every boy you wanted to ask you out would ask you out, and none of the ones you didn't want to ask you out would. In fact, your dog wouldn't even have any fleas. I heard that on the Hookie Pookie TV station. But the disciples are in a boat in the will of God in answer to his command, and a terrible storm comes up. And they're afraid they're going to die, and Jesus is sleeping. Does it ever seem to you like you're in a storm and the Savior's asleep? Master, carest thou not that we perish? Jesus 
rebuked the wind and the waves. And as fast as the storm started, it stopped. All those terrible things that bother you, keep you awake at night, grieve you, worry you, they can be over as fast as they started. And the Bible says the disciples were astonished. What manner of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. They knew Jesus was the Messiah. They did not know the extent of his power. They did not realize he's the creator and controller of everything that exists. Got to know him. Could heal dead person, Jairus' daughter. He got to not only know what he could do, but who he was. Thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. But in their church for a while, he, he was saved when he came. He came from another church. He'd been Roman Catholic. And he told how as a, a very nominal Roman Catholic, he started going to a Bible study. And he said, I thought, well, these people, they keep talking about Jesus. That's all they talk about is Jesus. He said, they talk about Jesus like he's God or something. <laughs> he found out he's God. Yeah, he is God. He is our savior. He is God. He made everything by the power of his word. And he, he learned about what Jesus deserved. The Bible says that in all things he might have the preeminence. That word means first in order and foremost in importance. And Peter said, Lord, if we left you, where would we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Where are you going to go if you leave Jesus? There's no way to heaven but Jesus. There's no way to happiness without Jesus. There is no hope without Jesus. But as importantly, as Peter gaining insights about the Savior, was the fact that Peter along the way, as he learns to trust Jesus, learns that he can calm the storm, learns that he is God, learns that he's worthy of our service, Peter had to have some insights about himself. Peter had a high regard for himself. Most of us do. Most of us do. Even the people who walk around and say, oh, no, I can't do anything. I'm just terrible. They're not wanting you to agree with them. They're not wanting you to tell you, oh, no, you can do it. You're fine. You're good. You're not that ugly. I've seen uglier people once or twice. I read a book years ago called Inside the Criminal Mind by a clinical psychologist named Stanton Samenow. And he said that contrary to the beliefs of society, criminals had higher self-esteem than most people. That's why they took that stuff. They thought they deserved it. They thought they were worthy of whatever they wanted to steal from somebody else. Peter thought 
that he was smarter than Jesus. I'm going to be crucified. Oh, no, 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 you're not, Lord. Far be it from thee. Peter, when the Lord Jesus said, you're going to deny me, Peter said, wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, first he said, the group, he said, you're all going to be offended because of me this day. And Peter said, wait, 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 wait a minute, Lord. Now, that may be true of my brother Andrew. That may be true of James and John. That may be true of Philip and Bartholomew and Thaddeus. That may be true of Judas, but you forgot I'm here too. And he said, though all men be offended in the I'll never be offended because of thee. Peter, in essence, said, well, I'm the best Christian in the world. I'm the last person who would ever do that. Young people, watch out. If you find yourself thinking, I would never do such and such. Or the preacher is a good man. He was concerned about preachers who had failed morally. And he said, I sat down, I thought about it. I thought what it would do to my wife and my church and my children and the Lord. And then he said, I believe now you could put me in any situation and I would not yield. And I cringed. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Peter was impetuous. Peter was arrogant. Peter thought he was smarter than Jesus. Now here's something you need to know. You won't hear this in public school or psychology class or from the media. We had a lady in our church years ago. She was raised by Satan worshipers who masqueraded as a Baptist preacher and his wife for the purpose of destroying churches. She told about some of the terrible things. And uh, she said, what do you think about psychologists? So I gave her an accurate but kindly answer. I said, well, all truth comes from the Word of God. To the extent that a psychologist is in agreement with the Word of God, he can help you. To the extent he's not, he cannot help you. She gave me some cassette tapes. Look those up. You'll find out what they were. <laughs> Would you listen to these? She'd gone to a famous clinic, Christian clinic. And she had a psychologist named Dr. Bell. And he had a group of really messed up people. And he got them together and he gave them all three lessons immediately. I never heard this from a psychologist. He said, number one, you're worse than you think you are. I got news for you. You're worse than you think you are. You're worse than you think you are. Oh, I know. No, you don't know how bad you are. No, the heart is deceitful of all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? God is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And any time I think I wouldn't do that, well, I can't understand how that could happen. Well, I never put myself in that position. Well, I, I'm glad I'm not like that. You are just like the Pharisee God. I thank thee that I'm not as other man, even as this public. Peter had learned that all of the confidence in himself was misplaced. All of the things he thought about 
his ability and his intelligence were absolutely in error. He had to learn that he could only make it if he kept his eyes on Jesus. Or in another storm, the Lord Jesus comes walking on the water in the midst of the storm. And Peter said, Lord, if that's really you, bid me come on you. And Jesus said, come here. Peter got out of the boat and walked on water. Now, he still holds the world record for human beings walking on water. But he saw the wind, the waves boisterous, and he began to sink. He did all right when he looked at the Savior. He started to sink when he looked at the storm. A lot of storms, a lot of crazy stuff in society. You'll be disappointed by your friends. You'll be disappointed by some of those you follow. You'll be disappointed by your family. But the Bible says, Thou keep in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusted in thee. You'll never be disappointed in your heavenly Father. He had to learn. He's a slow learner. Real slow learner. Source of y'all. I'm amazed how many lessons I must relearn. How many times I must be reminded of that which I've known for years. People say, does, does the Lord speak to you, Brother Let? Yes. What does he say? Well, most often he says, Well, let, you're an idiot. <laughs> He's always accurate. Years ago, I was in an automobile auction with my dad. He used to be a, an agent for an automobile dealer. I'd go buy cars at the auction, drive them a while, sell them for what I paid for them. And I bid on a car, and I was the high bidder. But the owner wasn't there, and it was less money than he wanted, so it was my car with an if. And I never liked it when that happened, because if the guy took my bid, I had to buy the car. If he didn't, I didn't have a car, and I missed a bunch of chances to get other cars in the meantime. So I checked in the office, and I checked again, I checked again. I think I bid $4,000 on this car. And the lady came out and said, no, it takes 5000 My dad was with me, and I was irritated. I said, you tell him if he wanted 5000 he ought to retail it. And my dad smiled. He said, ma'am, you tell him we hope he gets it. And I was rebuked. Why should I be unkind to that lady? She's just delivering a message. Why would I take my irritation out on her? Why do you take your irritations out on other people? Why would I do that? So many lessons I have to learn over and over and over again. And every time I think I'm doing pretty good, I'll mess up. Years ago, I got stuck thinking about that verse where Luke is moved by the Spirit of God in the book of Acts to summarize the life and ministry of our Savior. And he said, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. I thought that about that phrase, who went about doing good. And I'm going to try to do good, try to be like Jesus. It was a Thursday night at an outsole winning had a late class to teach in our Bible Institute. I had a little bit of time during my last visit in the class. I thought, 
I'll run to Walmart, buy some clear Americans, a beverage I like to drink. Now, my wife was here visiting our, young, our older daughter. Our younger daughter had my car, and I was driving my wife's electric blue PT Cruiser convertible. Bought it in 2005 with 5,000 miles on it for $15,000. We still have it. And she loved that car. She knew every tiny little scratch and ding and dent. And she loved that car. I thought, I'm going to park away from all the other cars so that nobody would bang the door. Went into Walmart. Got in line with my clear American lady in front of me, tried to write a check. But her name was not on the check, just her husband's name. And she said to the cashier, well, look, at same last name, same address, got my driver's license. Ma'am, I'm sorry. I cannot cash that check for you. And the lady writing the check, I told him. I told him he'd put my name on it. And the lady behind the cash register started saying, I'm sorry, but I just can't help you. And I said, ma'am, let me help you. I've got some money. Unlike the government or most college students. I said, I'll pay for your stuff and you write me the check. Now, ladies, I'm going to give you a great lesson. Don't ever say what this lady said to me. She said, are you sure? Never ask a man if he's sure. Men are always sure. We are not always right, but we're always sure. I said, yeah. And I gave her the money. She wrote me the check. I got tracks out to give the ladies. And the lady behind the cash register started talking about, well, my husband used to do that. And we had a talk, and I told him this, and I told him that. And I didn't like the way that was going. I said, well, you can do what I do. I give my wife X number of dollars a week for groceries. I preach out and give her 10% of my honorariums. I did that before I was traveling full time. And uh, a lady looked at me and she said, you ought to go around the country and give talks to men on how to be good husbands. <laughs> I said, well, uh, I do. I'm a Baptist preacher, preach at couples retreats, pretty regular. She said, no, don't talk to the women, just talk to the men. I said, oh, I don't tell them what I think, I tell them what the Bible says. I said, that little track, there's an email address. You contact me, I'll send you a DVD with those lessons on it. And I thought, you know, I'm doing good. I was nice to this lady, I helped the other lady, I gave both tracks, I'll probably read the tracks, I made a good impression, I'm doing good. I got out to the parking lot, and some dirt ball had <coughs> parked up. <coughs> Don't worry when I cough, I'm not sick. It's the, the doctor says those dead cells killed by the chemo and the radiation, and they have to go somewhere, so I spit them out on your platform. <laughs> Some dirt ball had parked so close to my wife's PT Cruiser, I couldn't even open the passenger door to put in the Clear America. Empty spaces all around. I mean, the guy was a slob. He had an ashtray on the dashboard. Car ashtray wasn't big enough. And I thought, now this is a meme now. It's been out there for years. I had never seen it, and it had been out this a long time ago. I thought, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna get grocery carts and put them all around his car. <laughs> 
I have a twisted mind. <laughs> I used to tell our members, you may think I say some things I shouldn't say, but if you knew how many things I think and don't say, you'd be very proud of me. <laughs> so the Spirit of God said to me, oh, who went about doing good? Oh, brother. So I took a tract and slipped it through the open window of the guy's car. Got in the driver's side, backed out. My wife's PT cruiser opened the door, started to put the clear American in. And as doing that, I heard, hi, pastor. And there was Ann and Dee Dee Hewitt, members of our church, mother and daughter. Do you know what I would have been doing when they got there if I had <laughs> done what I felt like I was? How would you explain that? <laughs> I'm conducting an experiment about the uh, <laughs> electronic field generated by grocery carts and its effect on dirt balls cars. <laughs> now, here's the deal. You know where I got off track? One when I saw the guy's car, one when I got irritated, one when I thought, I got my grocery carts all around his car. It was way back in Walmart. A lot of people get off track in Walmart. <laughs> when I said, I'm doing good. Instead <laughs> so saying, Lord, help me. Lord, I can make no impact on these people's lives without your help and your strength and your power. Help them to read the tract. Help me to say the right thing. Peter had a terrible tendency to rely on himself, to be impetuous, to be arrogant, to argue with Jesus. And he had to learn along the way he was worse than he thought he was. Jesus said, Peter, you are going to deny me. Before the rooster crows two times in the morning, you'll have denied me three times at night. Peter said, oh, no. No, I'll die with you, but I won't deny you. And you know the story in one of the gospel accounts, I think it's Luke, I'm not sure, tells us that after the third time, Peter denied the Lord. The Lord Jesus, standing at trial at a distance, looked back at him. I wonder what that look was like. He's looking at me. He's looking at you. He's looking at your phone. He's looking in your heart. He's looking in your mind. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. And then he thought, like some of you are going to think, I'm done. I've messed up. I've ruined it. God does not want me anymore. Jesus cannot use me anymore. The devil will tell you that all the time. That's why. Jesus said after his resurrection, the angel said, go tell his disciples and Peter. You know why? Because if he just said his disciples, Peter wouldn't have thought he was included. Peter didn't think he was up. He said, I'm done. I'm going back to the old life. I'm going to go back fishing again. And the message said, oh, no, Peter, you're included. And you know the story. How the Lord three times 
Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter served Jesus for the rest of his life. Tradition says he was crucified upside down. They say that he didn't think himself worthy to die in the same manner as his Savior. When they're going to crucify him, he requested that he be crucified upside down. So let me give you four insights from the story. Insight about the Savior, insight about himself, some insights from the story. Number one, I said this before, I say it again on purpose, it is dumb to argue with Jesus. Would you all say that with me? It's dumb to argue with Jesus. Say it again. It's dumb to argue with Jesus. I hope God brings that phrase back to your mind. Every time you think you know better, you think you have another way, you think you can't do what he wants you to do, you think he's asking too much, it's dumb to argue with Jesus. Number two, two essentials for Christian service are to see yourself as you are and the Savior as he is. We do an exercise with the men that come into our addiction zone. Brother Cowling, who leads it, will give them a piece of paper. And he said, he'll say, you stick figures and draw a picture of God and you. Do that in your mind. Draw a picture of God and you using stick figures. Most of the time, there's a big stick figure on this side of the paper and over on the other side, a little stick figure, big God, little man, distance between. There's only one right answer. And that is a stick figure of God holding you in his arms. Hey, the old song says there are times I've been out of his will. I've never been out of his care. You've never been out of the hand of your Savior. He always loves you. He always wants you back. He always wants to use you to do something again. You see, failure does not forfeit discipleship. Now, it may forfeit a particular position in the work of God, but that's the fact that you're a disciple. And then I want you to get this one. Incomplete obedience is disobedience. Saul, go kill Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and kill all the Amalekites and kill all their possessions. Saul went when he was supposed to, went where he was supposed to. He fought the people he was supposed to. He won the battle he was supposed to, but he kept the king and some of the best of the sheep and the oxen alive. He might have gotten a 75 or an 80% on an exam. But God said, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Incomplete obedience is no obedience at all. Man came to our church years ago, got saved, baptized, sat up in the balcony had long hair, or a 
leather motorcycle vest to every service. His name is Ulysses Garcia. And then one day I noticed he wasn't coming, and I checked it out, and I found out it was too late time. I found out what had happened, but he thought to teach Sunday school in our church, you had to have a college degree. Now we have standards, leadership requirements for Sunday school teachers, but being literate is not on that list. Nothing says you have to read and write. They do, but it's not on the list. And he went to another church. Best I could tell, he worked hard. He brought a lot of people into church. He knew a lot of people. He ran a little place called down, downtown Saginaw called the Discount Service Center. One of those deals with a hand-painted sign. And he'd fix people's cars and lawnmowers. And he'd go out on trash day and pick up stuff and fix it and sell it. And one day the preacher of that new church came to see Brother Ulysses. And he brought a member with him and he'd tell him all the things he'd done wrong. And Ulysses said, Preacher, I'm sorry. Just tell me what to do. I'll do whatever you say. You know, I think I could work with somebody like that. <laughs> Did you hear that? You could work with somebody like that. Just tell me what to do. I'll do whatever you say. And the preacher, best I could tell, had just gotten jealous and said, No, you'll never darken the doors of this church again. Ulysses got out of church, done, discouraged, defeated, disheartened, disillusioned. I found out about it, and I started contacting and working him. And I contacted him just about every Saturday for about a year and a half. And finally, one day, he came back. He got in my couple's class. He started teaching a bus Sunday school class. He brought all kind of people into church. But he'd always wanted to have a church in downtown Saginaw where nobody else wanted to be. And one day, somebody walked into his little business and they said, hey, Ulysses, we're selling our church building to him a couple blocks from here. And uh, we're going to start meeting in a house. We're going to go contemporary. And uh, maybe you'd like to buy it. It's $2,000 down and $200 a month. And Ulysses Garcia pulled $2,000 out of his pocket and paid it to him right then. He got the papers. He came to see me. He said, Preacher, I'd like to start a church downtown. God bless you, Brother Ulysses. Go ahead. We'll help you. He was nervous because he already had the name picked out, and he thought somebody might have stolen his name. And he ran down to the county, and to his great relief, no one had yet taken the name the Christ First Fellowship Baptist Church. Boy, just barely escaped. And he cleaned up that little building and he fixed everything up nice. And I preached for him a couple times, made it as nice as they could, plastic flowers on the altar, and nice, best they could do. And every day, they either had a service or they wouldn't sold any. And they had a book and they kept record of every service, how many people came, how many got saved, what the offering was, what they spent it on. How many people went out sold any? How many people got saved there? And he saw a lot of people saved, did a lot of good for the cause of Christ. He's in heaven now. Oh, by the way, when he walked into that building, he'd signed the papers of and gotten the keys for.
he was standing in the same building about which they had said to him, you'll never darken the doors of this church again. They couldn't kick him out. Then he owned it. Yeah. See, discouragement, disappointment, failure does not forfeit discipleship. I wonder how many of us need to know ourselves and our Savior a little better. Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked thing in me. Not what I think, but either.